Welcome to From Fear to Fire, Secrets to Overcome Fear, Embrace Your Gifts, and Achieve Success. This is the place where real people share real challenges, where you can find a common bond and uncommon wisdom through their journeys to help you move from fear to fire. My name is Heather Hansen O'Neill, and I am your host today and always. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a review. Thank you so much. Today, I have two quotes for you. At the start of each day, I remind myself my toughest opponent is in the mirror by Ryan Lochte. And then I had to add this other one, and you'll understand why. And it's by Dory in Finding Nemo, Just Keep Swimming. So now that you have two, I think you're going to understand as I intro my fantastic guest. His name is Douglas Clydesdale Comstock, and he is the author of The Mental Toughness Advantage. Doug is regarded as an authority on the topic of goal achievement. He's an award-winning inspirational speaker and coach on the topics of mental toughness, high performance, and living an inspired life. He inspires his audiences to awaken their inner champion by weaving motivational lessons from his experiences spent as a former Alaska Deadliest Catch commercial fisherman, three-time finisher of the Hawaii Ironman Triathlon and third-degree black belt team member on the U.S. Intersport Karate Team to Russia and Poland. On April 26th of this year, at age 64, Doug swam from Europe to Africa across the Gibraltar Strait. And in 2015, he swam for 13 hours and 20 minutes, covering 19 miles from England to France across the English Channel before having to terminate his swim because of a shoulder injury and hypothermia just two miles from the French coast. He's done a lot of amazing things. He has directed his own training company since 1981, and he's the founder of Getting to Goals. So let's get right to it and introduce Doug Comstock. How you doing, Doug? I'm doing well. And as I listen to that introduction, I think to my, what my brother said to me years ago, he said, Doug, we've got to keep you from reproducing. So <laughs> <laughs> it's too late. I know it's too late, right? You've got some amazing kids to prove it's too late, right? <laughs> yeah, I sure do. So welcome. I'm so happy to have you on here. I've been wanting to have you on the show for some time, and I'm glad it finally worked out. Um, now, because our listeners do not know you as well as I do. Before I get into any of my burning questions, how about you just give a little bit of a little more background on yourself and how you got to where you are now? Yeah, in fact, uh, I'll share a story in a few minutes about a guy that I met in Hawaii years ago. His name is Bill Albright. I was there for the first time in 1993 to do a race called the Hawaii Ironman. It combines a 2.4 mile ocean swim, 112 mile bike, and 26. 0.2 mile run all in 90 degree heat, 90% humidity. And this guy passed me after I had a 13 mile lead on him. He passed me at mile 24 uh, of the marathon. That's the last event of the day. And it changed my life. And it's really uh, probably a person that had some of the greatest influence in my life. In 1993, I was 38 years old, and again, I had a 13-mile head start on this guy. He was 69 years old, and what became such a defining moment for me at that time is if you had asked me at 38, 
Uh, if someone 69 years old was old, I'd say absolutely. But he changed the way I looked at the aging process because I, I didn't know how it was possible, how someone that much older than me could have passed me. And that guy changed my life because it really, it really started a new way of thinking for me, understanding the difference between someone that had aged and someone that had gotten old. And I, I made a decision that day in the lava fields of Hawaii that I was going to be one of those people aged and didn't get old. So uh, that's what really has brought me here today in terms of doing the things. I I have a motto that say says that basically if you're hanging around with the right people, you can achieve anything at any time at any age. And I truly believe that, Heather. I do believe that as well. And you have definitely proved it again and again. And I love that about you. And um, one of the things that really strikes me is that you don't stop, meaning that, you, you know, you did, you, you had some issues with the hypothermia and the shoulder and, and then you came back, trained more and then swam the, the big swim to, to Africa. So um, I, it just amazes me. It's a great lesson. So you wrote a book about this way of thinking, right? It's, it's on mental toughness and, and what it is, right? So what is it? Well, you know, it's interesting when I when I was first approached by the publisher in California called Callisto Media, they told me that they had identified me as one of five people in the country that was qualified to write a book on mental toughness. And I, I appreciated that. And I started to really think about I knew what mental toughness was and how I applied it. But I didn't really know uh, what the definition was. I had never defined it. So I went to the dictionary like you do for anything. I went to Google. And, and interestingly enough, there was no real good definition on what mental toughness was. So that was my first task. How was I going to be able to put words to this concept? And the definition that I came up with that resonates for me, and I, and I imagine everybody has their own variation, but the, the definition of mental toughness for me is the mindset to boldly advance toward a goal regardless of fear, pain, or circumstance. Again, mental toughness is the mindset to boldly advance toward a goal regardless of fear, pain, or circumstance. So when you start to think about each one of those fear, pain, and circumstance, we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go along. But that's, that's really what I want people to be thinking about in terms of cultivating a mentally tough mindset. It's with the goal of being able to work past any circumstance that you might have in your life, any fear that you might have in your life. That's what I want people to start to think about is to develop a mental toughness mindset because of anything that they might need to be able to achieve. They, they oftentimes are going to need a certain level of mental toughness to be able to achieve those things. Oh, that fits so perfectly, you know, from uh, with the podcast being named from fear to fire, you, you know that that's what I focus on and one of the main reasons why I brought you on this show is to provide these great ideas and strategies and ways of looking at things, a mindset shift to people so that they can feel the fear, but continue to do it anyway, right? Right, so, absolutely. So let's talk about that kind of mindset management is a term that you use as well. So is there something that you can share with people about this mindset management that they might be able to kind of grab a hold of if they're going through a fearful time? Yeah. In fact, uh, when I talk about mindset management, I think about a couple quotes. Um, one of my favorite quotes is by a, a guy by the name of Charles Swindoll. And Charles 
said that life is 10% what happens to us and 90% how we respond to it. And that quote has always, always hit me pretty, uh, pretty hard in terms of the importance of what those words mean. Again, life is 10% what happens to us and 90% uh, how we respond to it. And the other quote is by uh, Wayne Dyer. Wayne said, when we change the way we look at things, the things we look at change. And that's what mindset management is. It's amazing to me. We, are, we can all be thrown into a specific situation. And it's how we manage, how we look at those things, how we reframe the perspective on that. That's what defines whether something can be paralyzing for us or if it's if we look at it with the right mindset, it's amazing how we can take something that might paralyze one person and to be able to move past that fear, move past that paralysis because of the way we process the information. I think of, uh, you know, one of my favorite movies. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Hacksaw Ridge. Uh, there was yeah. this private uh, private Benjamin First Class Doss, and he was a pacifist. This is a true story. If you haven't seen the movie, I'd recommend it to anyone. He was a pacifist, refused to carry a firearm, and up on top of Hacksaw Ridge, uh, while his all of his teammates were being decimated, he stayed up there and was lowering people off this ridge in makeshift uh, makeshift hammocks, dropping them down where they could be uh, they could be taken by by their friends to be brought to the hospital or being cared for. He was the only one that stayed up on the ridge. Now this is a guy that was a pacifist, and he knew that he was completely against war, but he shifted his mindset in terms of, in, instead of not participating in some way, he shifted his mindset knowing that he couldn't kill anybody, but he could at least help those people that were injured. So he found a way to change within the circumstance. And that's what mindset management is. It's, not, it's, the, it's understanding that we can't always change the circumstance that, that comes our way. But we can change how we incorporate that circumstance. So, again, we can't change the circumstance, but what we can oftentimes do is change how we participate within that circumstance. I, uh, one of my favorite quotes was about a guy in the hospital had a sign above his bed. It said, I have cancer. Cancer doesn't have me. So he was motivated to shift his mindset in a way that he wasn't a victim he found an empowered way of thinking to be able to get past that fearful time in the hospital. So that's what mindset management is, is, is to begin to reframe your perspective in a way that helps you be able to grow past whatever that circumstance that might be cast your way. It allows you to be able to work towards your goals regardless of anything that might be in your way be it by shifting how you're managing the things that come into your mind. I think that is so important. And I talk all of all the time about what we can control. You know, you can't control the situations that arise. So it's very empowering when you're you're helping people to shift and to, to have this mindset management because you're working with what you can control. It's very freeing. Absolutely. That's really what it's all about is to understand when something comes at you to reframe. How can I look at this in a way 
that helps move me forward versus paralyze me. That's what really what mindset management is. How can I take this goal that's not working? Whatever it is that I'm doing right now isn't working. How can I shift the way that I'm looking at it? How can I reframe it? How can I participate differently? How can I use this circumstance to move me forward versus paralyze me? That's what mindset management is. Because again, life is 10% what happens to us and 90% how we respond to it. That's what mindset management is all about. Totally, totally feel that. So let's kind of dive a little bit deeper into the fear and about the fears that hold most people back. Do you personally think it's more a fear of failure, a fear of success, something else? What do you think? Wow. You know, how many times have we seen that quote, whether it be on Facebook or by a professional speaker, if you were aware, if if you were to take a challenge and you knew you wouldn't fail, what would you do? Uh, so the fear of failure is oftentimes what we see that people put into the marketplace is if you if you knew you wouldn't wouldn't fail. Uh, so as I started to write the book, I really started to talk to people about what their fears were. I had a fear years ago about uh, stepping out. I wanted to be in a school play, but I was afraid that that uh, people would make fun of me because I was an athlete. Heather, here's one of the things I've learned is it's for most people, it's not the fear of failure. It's not the fear of success. When we really dig deep at the root cause, what it is I've discovered is it's the fear of being judged, the Mm. fear of what you think of me, the fear. I, I have a friend. In fact, this guy is a pretty darn good guitarist and vocalist. And he uh, said to me about four or five years ago, I, I want to do an open mic night some night. I said, so so what's preventing you from doing it? He said, I, I, I'm afraid. And I said, this is a guy, by the way, that was a Green Beret, was in Afghanistan on two tours. And it, it, if there was a guy that you wouldn't, be, wouldn't think would, was fearful of anything, it would be this guy. And I said, well, what is it that you're afraid of? And he said, I'm afraid of what you might think of me. I'm afraid of because I've kind of painted myself in this box that I'm this tough green beret. And and now I stand up and I sing a love song or I sing something that resonates with my heart. And I'm I'm afraid of of how you might judge me. And, And that's what I have found that oftentimes it's not the fear of failure that holds people back. It's not the fear of success. It's the fear of what are you going to think of me if I change the way I look at myself, if I change the way I present myself to the world, what are you going to think of me? So that's what I would encourage people to look at is what is it that's holding them back? Is it really the fear of failure? Is it the fear? of What is it? Or is it the fear that somebody that you love, somebody that uh, you know at work, somebody that if you step out of, outside of the box that you're known to be in, are you going to be judged? What I say to people is, sure, you're going to be judged. Sure, that's part of that's just part of the process of daily living. When we begin to accept the fact that we're going to be judged, and not that those people that are judging us don't matter, because oftentimes they're the people that love us the most. But when we no longer allow them to be able to control, we're going to do these things regardless of being judged. We're going to do them anyway because it it's part of honoring your authentic self. If you have something inside you that needs to be done. Get past that fear of being judged. Let it be okay that somebody's going to judge you because my greatest concern is regret, moving through life, not honoring the things that you have inside you that still need to be done because you're you're fearful of how someone might judge you. So again, see, I want you to really start to look at that. 
to see if it's really fear of failure, if it's fear of success, or is it fear at a much deeper root level where we're fearful of what others might think of us? I want you to take a look at that. I love that, Doug. And it reminds me when I was, it, it was the shift in my speaking career for me, that very realization is that I've always had this high need for approval and, and it was an, afraid that I would be judged. And then I, I went to the speaking conference and somebody said something to me that just completely shifted my way of thinking about it, about how they don't really want to see a perfect speaker up there. They wanted to see the quirky, weird Heather as being authentic. And I'm like, really? Seriously? <laughs> right. Like, but it but it shifted everything about that that when we are authentic and just being ourselves and not fearing that judgment so much, that's when you can make a real difference, right? That's Absolutely. when you can become whole. Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. Now, I was telling a friend of mine about your your bio. And of course, he, he immediately, when we were, I got to the part about the deadliest catch, um, commercial fisherman part, he was like, really? That's so cool. So I have to ask a story about that. So I think you have a, a great story from your days working on the fishing boat in Alaska. Would you like to share it with us? Yeah. I, in fact, it one was, the, was one of the greatest lessons that happened to me. I was 25 years old and I was supposed to be ready for a three-week trip out to sea. And we worked on a, a small vessel. There were only five of us. It was called the Midi. And it was a 40-foot uh, seine craft for specifically this time of year. I was fishing on a herring boat down in Prince William Sound. That's where the, the Valdez went down. Uh, so this was long before the Valdez crashed. But anyway, I was supposed to be ready at three o'clock in the morning because the boat that we uh, that I worked on was such a small boat the area that we had to travel, we had to go around this point called Gore Point. Now, nobody told me at this time that Alaska has the highest rate of non-returning sea vessels of anywhere oh. in the world. Uh-oh. So <laughs> I, I found that out on that trip, and I'm glad my mother didn't know about it. But the captain wanted me to be ready at 3 o'clock in the morning. He was coming to pick me up with the other crew members. And as it turned out, I wasn't ready. In fact, I had been out drinking with my buddies the night before. I don't think I got home until 2.30. I meant to sit on the bed and start packing my stuff for the three-week trip. As it turned out, I passed out on the bed. The skipper shows up at the house. My crewmate runs to the door because I was supposed to run out, and I didn't. And he comes into the house. He said, how come you're not ready? I hadn't even packed yet. So within three minutes, I threw all my stuff in the bag. We were 20 minutes late. The reason why it was important is the boat that we were on so small was so small, we had to make it around this point at a certain time because of the tide change. And if we didn't make it around this point, there was a good chance that we would be thrown into the rocks at Gore Point. So I had now created a situation where I'd exposed the entire crew to what could have been a catastrophic event. As it turns out, it wasn't. When I got in the car, the tension was so thick, you could cut it. Nobody said anything. The skipper was so mad at me, he he, he was seething and I could feel it. Well, we got on the boat and we're eight hours into the journey and he calls me to the uh, to the wheelhouse. And he said to me, he called me Bear. He said, Bear, why were you late? 
you knew how important it was to be on time and because of the j- dangers now you exposed the entire crew to, why were you late? And Heather, I, I didn't know what to say. And I said to him, Jake, my, uh, my alarm clock didn't go off. Mm. He didn't say anything. He waits about a minute or two. And I could just see him still steaming at the ears. And he said very calmly, calmly, he said, Bear, the sooner you understand the difference between a reason and an excuse, the sooner you'll have access to your full potential. Oh, my gosh, that's brilliant. Heather, I had no idea what he's talking about. I was 25 years old. What's the, <laughs> what's, what's, what's the old quote when the teacher is ready, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. I had no yeah. idea what he's talking about, but those words stuck with me. And they have become some of the more influential words that I've had in my life because I realized at some point in my life, I realized how often I used an excuse when I used the, I used an I, I used an excuse, but I told people it was the reason why. Um, for example, I remember years ago business wasn't going so well, and I said to a friend of mine that was a mentor, I, I said, "Well, business isn't going very well because of the economy." And he looked at me. He looked at me and he said, "Doug, there are plenty of other businesses that are doing really well in this economy." He said, "Isn't that kind of an excuse?" And I started to think about it, and I realized that it was an excuse, that I I hadn't done the work. I hadn't called enough people. I hadn't set up enough appointments. And I started to really hold myself accountable for every aspect of my life. When, when uh, When I was late for a meeting in Hartford, it wasn't because of the snowstorm. I knew the snow was coming. I didn't leave 20 minutes early to be able to uh, to be able to adjust for that. Or I knew that if I was late for an appointment, it wasn't because of traffic. I knew that at 8 o'clock in the morning, there's a good chance there was traffic. So I would use an excuse that it was the traffic when, in fact, it was poor preparation. So what happened is I started to really think about those words, the difference between a reason and an excuse, I started to look at how accountable I had held myself. And I realized that oftentimes it was easy to find the excuse because by finding the excuse, I could I could attribute a poor performance to someone else. I could attribute a poor performance to uh, to d- different environmental conditions. I could I could uh, attribute something else to anything other than myself. And the only problem was when we do that, when we use excuses, we never get to the core reason of what's holding us back. And once we do, it changes everything. You have access to your full potential. So now when I think about well, I, I, uh, I'm big boned. I, I, I've, I've, I weigh more than I want to, for example. It's not because I might have a slow metabolic rate. It isn't because I'm big boned. It's because I really maybe, maybe didn't exercise enough in the past two months. It may be because I put some things in my mouth I probably shouldn't have. So I start to really look at what's the reason. Because when we get, when we can get to the reason, get beyond the excuse and get to the reason, that's where the power in life begins. Because now we're holding ourselves completely accountable and i learned that lesson on a fishing boat in alaska by that guy calling on calling me on it i think that oftentimes what limits a lot of people is they oftentimes see that the reason why something may not be working in their life is because of all the things going on around them versus pointing their fingers directly at themselves and say all right what's the real reason here that's where the power is 
Oh, my gosh. That's it right there. I mean, if anybody stop, everyone rewind, play that again, because that that is a complete life changer. That one nugget, right, can completely change a life. And like you said, your mentors were the ones that were teaching you this. So now you're passing that message along. And I think that's really super, super important. Yep. Um, do you have any other, you know, messages for or or tactics or strategies for that you could have someone apply that could help them achieve a goal? You know, I work with a lot of people who are looking to to figure out how to get to this specific goal. And the first one, obviously, would be to let go of these excuses. But what do you have anything else that you might be able to share with them for a goal? I, I absolutely do. And I believe that these five steps are critical to achieving any goal at any time and at any age. And it's amazing how often times in my life I had violated them. And once I started really paying attention to these five rules, it was amazing how I was able to accelerate past all the things that weren't working and to be able to get to the promised land of the achievement part. You see, we're all good. It's setting goals. Everybody sets goals, especially they wait till the first of the year. I'm going to set this goal within three days, five days, three weeks, boom, gone. So there's a big difference between a goal set and a goal met. Here are the five rules that I have for achieving any goal at any time at any age. Rule number one, and I can tell you what, I violated this. We violate this all the time. Rule number one is to tap into what I call tribal knowledge. Tap into tribal knowledge. You've got to begin hanging with the people that have already achieved exactly what it is that you want to achieve. Again, rule number one, tap into tribal knowledge. Find the people, I don't care what it is. For me, learning how to swim the English Channel, I thought there's nobody in the state of Connecticut that has done the English Channel. As it turns out, as I started to look for these people that had, I found out there are more English Channel swimmers from Connecticut than any other state in the United States. It was unbelievable. Yeah. So here's two things you're going to find when you tap into tribal knowledge, when you tap into the people that have already achieved what you want to do, two things will happen. Number one, they will never laugh at you and tell you it's not possible because they were once where you are now. Number two, they are the roadmap. They're going to tell you how to do it. Not only will they not laugh at you for having that big dream, they will tell you how to be able to make it to the promised land. So again, rule number one, find the people that have achieved exactly what you want to do. That's not what oftentimes we do. We go to a person that we love, a person that we care about, a mentor at work, and we ask them, we we tell them this vision that we have, this big goal. And because they don't have the same vision or the ability to think big the way that you do, oftentimes they'll tell you all the reasons why it's not possible. So they can kill your dream immediately simply because they don't have the vision that someone has that has done what you want to do. So again, rule number one, you've got to find the people that have achieved exactly what it is that you want to achieve. They'll help you find the pro- get to the promise land. Rule number two, you've got to become an expert on the subject matter. Listen to podcasts like this one. Read books, pick brains, join clubs, Find out, become an expert, learn as much as you possibly can on the subject matter because what happens is as you become an expert on the subject matter, this becomes part of your DNA. So immerse yourself in learning as much about whatever goal it is that you want. Rule number three, here's a hard one, man. You've got to do the work. 
And that's where oftentimes people will fail on a big goal as they think, oh, my God, there's so much work. Give you an idea. In January 2015, I swam 23 days in a row in preparation for the English Channel. I would have swam for 30 days or 31 days the month of January, but I got chlorine poisoning after doing a seven-hour swim in a swimming pool. My shortest swim during those 23 days straight was three hours. My longest one was seven hours. I had two five-hour swims, but every day I was going to the pool. And I got to tell you, my mother said to me one time, well, as long as you're enjoying it, I said, Mom, the first first hour of every swim I enjoy, but after an hour in a pool, oh, my God, I hate it. So so don't use enjoyment as the barometer by which you measure uh, your goals, because oftentimes if you jump, we're we're talking about big stuff here, whether it's writing a book, losing 150 pounds, getting you to getting your pH. I don't care what it is. If it's a big goal at some point in time, you're going to get down to the point where it's just plain hard work and you're not going to want to do it. That's where you've got to power through it, get to the other side of it. So, again, rule number three, do the work. Rule number four. Be patient and persistent. These things that I'm talking about are not going to come overnight. That's why, you know, they say that number one, the number one uh, goal that people have at New Year's is is weight loss. And of course, after two weeks, they they stop doing it. Why? It's a lot of work and, and, and they don't see the results immediately. So it's easy to give up. Anytime we're working towards achieving especially big goals is it's not going to come overnight. You've got to give yourself permission to be patient. It's going to take time. You want to learn to play the guitar. I want to be in a rock band, but I know I'm not going to do it unless I invest 10 years of my life learning how to be able to be able to play that guitar. So again, be patient and persistent. Stick with it. When you feel like giving up, power through it. Get to the other side because, man, it's amazing as you achieve these different things in your life, how your life begins to transform because you were patient, but you were persistent and continue to work, work towards it. Rule number five, benchmark your progress. Measure where am I today in relationship to my goals versus where I was a month ago, six months ago, or a year ago. Because by benchmarking, by looking at where you are today versus where you were yesterday, you can make adjustments. You can talk to your mentors. You can talk to your coaches. You know, coach, this isn't working to the way that, well, let's adjust it. Let's change this. Let's change your frequency. Let's change your intensity or duration. So again, benchmark your progress to see where you are today versus where you were yesterday. So again, the five rules are tap into tribal knowledge. Number two, be an expert on the subject matter. Number three, do the work. Number four, be patient and persistent. And rule number five, benchmark your progress. Those are the five things that I recommend that everybody look at with regard to achieving goals in their life. You know, the, that's an amazing list. I don't see on that list anywhere, you know, take a pill or a silver bullet, you know. <laughs> I've been looking for that, too, but I haven't I, found that yet. I know. And I think once we wrap our heads around the fact that this is this is the plan, this is what you have to do and, and you'll be able to achieve your goals, then then you can actually get somewhere. Right. Exactly. Right. Right. Uh, sure. OK, so I'm going to ask you a tough one. All right. When people listening to the show, they're listening to you, you might come like you. It might be scary listening to you because you've done so many amazing things and somebody could be sitting there going, gosh, I don't I don't I don't know. You know, he seems like he could do so much that I can't do. So I want you to get a little vulnerable here. Is there any time in your life that you have felt 
you know, that fear that you felt like, oh, gosh, this is just too big. I, I just I, I don't know if I can do it. Could you share a moment like that with our listeners? Yeah, I can tell you that there are, there are a few things. Number one, I uh, there's a reason why I use Clydesdale as my middle name. My middle name is actually Craig. But as you introduced me at the beginning of the show, Douglas Clydesdale Comstock. And the reason why I use Clydesdale is that all of my life. I've always felt that I wasn't good enough. What I mean by that is when I showed up to do the Hawaii Ironman years ago, I was uh, I was at the Ironman check-in office, and I was asked by the guy behind the, the, the front desk what division I was in. Now, this is only the fifth race that I'd ever done in my life, and I said, I, I, didn't, I don't know. And he said, well, he looked at me and he said, well, how much do you weigh? And I said, I, I weigh 240 pounds. And he, he said, oh, you're a Clydesdale. And then the 40 people in the office just erupted in laughter. You see, the Hawaii Ironman is reserved for the best athletes in the world. Out of 2,000 athletes, only about 20 of them are in the Clydesdale division, which means that you're above 200 pounds. I was a Clydesdale of Clydesdales, 240 pounds, which, which was the Ironman's way of of saying that you're not quite right for the part. This is a race reserved for thoroughbreds. And here you are, a Clydesdale. And it, it hit me between the eyes. I'm thinking, oh, I, I knew I shouldn't be here. I knew I didn't really fit in. You see, I had gotten in by the lottery. The other people, 200 people were allowed in by a, this lottery process. The other 2,000 had to earn their slot. So I knew I didn't really fit in. And, and I, I realized that you know, I don't belong here. I, I realized I, I'm not good enough. I realized I I don't measure up. And it was amazing to me how that theme was something that I have felt in all of my life. There isn't a time that I don't get up to present to whether that's a hundred people or a thousand people to do a presentation. There isn't a time that I don't feel like I'm not good enough. I, I don't have something that's going to benefit. Those are part of my human condition. It's so the reason why I use Clydesdale as a middle, my middle name is because I recognize that part of the human condition is oftentimes we don't feel like we're good enough. And what I say to people that I say to myself so what? Go do it anyway. So that's my message. If you happen to feel there are times in your life that you don't measure up, that you're not good enough, that you're not worthy, understand that that's part for many people. That's just a simple fact of the human condition. You can either run from the goals. You can either run from those things that make you feel alive or you can say, so what? I'm going to do it anyway. So what? I feel good when I do it, even though I'm not as good as those thoroughbreds. So what? I'm going to do it anyway. The, the funny part of that story is in 1995, when I went back to do the Hawaii Ironman, the average headwinds that day were 25 miles an hour with gusts to 70 miles an hour. I don't know if you've ever ridden a you know, a bicycle when you're, the gusts were 70 miles an hour, but 15 people got blown off their bikes that day, couldn't finish the race because they were injured. And the funny part of that story is not one of them was a Clydesdale. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Oh my gosh. I love that story. Um, and because I do think that is a 
that's across the board. You know, most, I, I, I would venture to say everyone that I've ever coached has come to me that I've felt that way. Everybody that I, I come in contact with has felt a little bit of that, that not feeling enough, right? Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. I absolutely think that that's in, in talking to people over the years as I've revealed my own story. It's amazing to me how many I had a guy come up to me and he said, uh, you know, I really appreciate what you had to say. And, and he said, I've always wanted to be in a band. And I said, well, well, why haven't you then? And he said, because I'm a lousy guitar player. And I said, <laughs> cool, go find a lousy drummer. And, <laughs> and he and he did. And then he found a lousy bass guitar guitar player. And I've heard these guys, they're lousy. But here's the funny thing, Heather. When he stands up behind that microphone, there's something that changes inside him. He's not a lousy guitar player. He's Mick Jagger. Because, see, you can see when he touches, I call it the inner champion, when he touches that thing that makes him feel alive, it doesn't matter how good you are. What matters is that it excites you. What it, what matters is it makes you feel actively engaged in your life. What, what matters is how it changes you from the inside. That's what matters. And oftentimes, it doesn't matter how good you are. It matters that it forces you to be engaged in your life. That's the key to life is what is it that lights you up regardless of how good or bad you are? What lights you up inside? Those are the things that we need to do to make our lives more interesting. And that that translates in everything else that you do. It carries through that confidence, that energy that comes through in everything else. And it will help you in all areas. I love yeah, that. Absolutely. You know, I, I, this time is flying by, and I want to make sure that our listeners get an opportunity to figure out where to find you. Can you share your website or where they can get your book or anything like that for them, please? Yes, absolutely. My website is getting, G-E-T-T-I-N-G, getting to, T-O, goal, G-O-A-L. That's gettingtogold.com. You can sign up for my my uh, newsletter there. Here's the cool part, Heather, for a kid that was in the half of the class that made the top half possible. I would <laughs> never have guessed in a million years that someone would pay me to actually write a book. They did. And interestingly enough, the book sales have done so well on Amazon that my publisher announced a couple months ago that now every store in the United States, or not every store, every Barnes and Noble in the United States has a copy of my book on their shelf. Oh, Another. Isn't that cool? And another chain of uh, books called Books a Million. I think there's only one Books a Million store in Connecticut, but there are over 600 600, uh, Barnes & Nobles in the United States. They carry it. Uh, Barnes & Noble has me doing a book tour for them sometime this fall on the East Coast and West Coast. Uh, I'll be sharing my message as as I am given a, a privilege and honor to be able to do some author presentations. So I'm really excited about that. So, again, Books a Million, Amazon or uh, uh, Barnes and Noble. Uh, the book is entitled The Mental Toughness Advantage. It's fantastic. How exciting. I always love your message, Doug. And I'd love for you to do you have any parting words of wisdom for our listeners today? Yeah, my parting words of wisdom is this. Be gentle with yourself. Life life is tough, man. Oftentimes we sit on the sidelines and we look 
out and we think that everybody else seems to have it together. And one of the guys that really changed my life was Robin Williams. If anybody looked at him on the outside, all the money he had, the great personality he had, all the friends he had. But man, that guy was wrestling with some pretty big stuff. We all wrestle with some pretty big stuff in life. So be gentle with yourself. Remind I want you to remind yourself of a quote my brother said to me years ago about life. He said, happiness shared is multiplied. Sorrow shared is divided. So if you're going through a tough time as as we all do with these ebbs and flows of life, reach out to someone, reach out to me. My contact information is in the book. Reach out to me through my website. If you're ever going through a tough time and you need somebody just to listen to you, be gentle with yourself. You can do this thing and there are going to be lots of people around you to rally to support you as long as they know that you need some assistance, regardless of what what it might. So don't wait till you get into the danger zone. If things are tough, reach out to people. And again, there are lots of people that want to make sure that you have the life you deserve to have. I know I'm one of them. Thank you so much, Doug. And I got to tell you guys out there, knowing Doug, he he is. He's the real deal, and he means that. So that is outstanding. Thank you for taking the time to share your wisdom, your inspiration with us today. Thank you. My honor. Thank you so much, Heather.